On today's podcast, we have Everett Carney. He has spanned the tech scene through New York City, coming from Seattle and now in LA. He does a lot in gaming and with blockchain, and some of it is really on the bleeding edge. Welcome, Everett. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Welcome, Everett. Yeah, good to know a little bit about uh, what you're working on right now, Everett. Um, so right now I have been working on exiting uh, one of my previous companies, which was primarily focused on on data collection and analysis. And I'm moving back into the gaming space uh, with a focus on sort of bridging the gap or, or finding new ways to apply uh, blockchain technology and a little bit of AI to the mobile gaming space. Um, and then eventually, hopefully getting into uh, console, more traditional gaming. So what, what is different about, uh, and you're a gamer yourself, I presume, but what is different about how blockchain is enabling you to deliver an experience to the players? Uh, so the blockchain provides us with uh, essentially an immutable record. Um, the obvious use case for that is inventory systems, um, things that are called NFTs or non-fungible tokens, which are basically uh, in-game items. And or they're represented as in-game items, I should say. Uh, there's this notion in the blockchain and gaming community that the blockchain will eventually enable us to create a Ready Player One style game where you see all kinds of, you know, different items and different characters and you have avatars and everyone's their own custom, you know, whatever they want to be, uh, which is technically possible. It's, it's entirely possible. And I believe that eventually we'll get there. Uh, but that's sort of jumping the gun. And there's a lot of really cool things that we can do up until that point. And what what are those things? And what is, uh, what's what been your reception so far from both other technologists in the gaming community, blockchain stakeholders, as well as the players themselves? How are people receiving your mutation of this experience? So it, uh, it's been incredibly positive. Um, it's It's been a little bit difficult to explain to people who aren't sort of in this in the space and uh, one of the things that you know i've been practicing and, and we've been practicing as we're out actually pitching and fundraising is uh you know how do you explain that a fairly new concept to people and this new concept is actually the ability to democratize the game modification and development process through what's called staking and um, essentially enabling a governance model for a games community so they could vote on on updates and um, actually help steer and drive the games that they enjoy playing rather than uh, you know being at the complete behest of the developers themselves. Maybe this is a good chance Everett, Don here, um, to move into the generated items because I found that fascinating. Um, I've been learning a little bit about games and mobile games through a team I've been helping in Seattle that came out of King and they're launching their own studio. So um, that seems like a vast opportunity for improving um, player experience, as well as generating opportunities for new revenue streams for the, uh, um, the game designer or the publisher themselves. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so one of the, one of the big concepts today in, in gaming, you have like uh, Diablo three and, and No Man's Sky, and you see what's called procedurally generated content. And what that means is that the, <clears throat> the game developers created a system that can sort of automatically build uh, a dungeon or a planet or 
um, some things on a planet. And they, they basically supply a set of rules to this generative engine, and it creates new content for the players to go explore. And it's a way to, to extend the longevity of a game and, and add replay value. Um, one of the things that artificial intelligence offers us are the generative adversarial networks. And these GANs are very, very cool, cutting edge technology that's still, you know, they're still very much coming into their own. Um, right now, they're primarily used for the deep fakes videos and uh, a lot of language analysis, actually. Um, as we move forward, uh, one of the things, John, that you and I had talked about was uh, basically using a generative adversarial network as a backing mechanism for a crafting engine in a game, uh, essentially giving players the ability to forge their own items or to build their their gear and kind of tell this network what they're doing. So it's like, oh yeah, this is a this is a house, and this is these are my building materials, and I've got some wood and some concrete, and you sort of paint by number and you you draw a rough outline, and then you click a go button, and that go button sends the data over to the to the generative network and then comes back with a fully rendered model that you have that's custom and proprietary to you and um, it sort of you know it paints it and it makes it nicer and it creates a a a model or a, an image that feels like it should be in the game and, and then that seems like that could turn the player into an a merchant on the platform, and then the uh, game developers could be a part of that in facilitating those exchanges. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I, I do try to steer away from is the the notion of gaming for um, income. I think that, especially in the blockchain space, we see a lot of this, this mentality of, oh, well, if people can earn money doing something, then they'll do it. And that's not true. Uh, we've seen you know, decades of people just having fun, whether it's in a video game or going for a walk or, you know, you go to the gym, you pay to go to the gym. Um, but uh, people like to do things because they enjoy them, not necessarily because they can profit from it. Now that might contribute. It might be nice. You know, maybe you're a painter and you you sell your paintings on the side or you have an Etsy shop. Uh, those are all great, awesome things that people do but they're not necessarily pure hobbies. And um, the monetization aspect for just an individual player should be, in my opinion, a bonus of uh, next generation systems, not the reason for someone to play. I don't wanna like strap people into a digital world and force them to play all already player one. Uh, you know, They should voluntarily be there because they're just having a good time. Yeah, so Everett, you are yourself speaking a bit about your own life too. Is you know, I met you through Timothy Lewis and the blockchain community in Venice Beach, and he says I have one of the most brilliant people you're going to meet tonight. And sure enough, uh, you are, and that's a compliment. Uh, but how do you balance? How do you balance this passion for what you're doing and the expectation of career and making it work and the business side of it? So, one of the things that I that I think that we will see just in general over the next you know decade or two is a shift in perceived value. And one of the things that both artificial intelligence and blockchain and, and gaming offer us is the ability to very quickly and effectively adapt to a shift in perceived value um, as, we, as we move forward as a society and as a group of people. So right now, 
value is dollars. You know, we live in America and, and we value the U.S. dollar. Um, it's also the world's reserve currency, I, I believe. Um, but it's paper money, right? Someone somewhere says this is worth a dollar, therefore it's a dollar. If I have a dollar and you have a dollar, we have the same dollar and we can spend that dollar in the same way. Um, that's fungibility. And if we, you know, if we shift from from the perceived value of dollars back to more of a, even to like more of a bartering system, or, you know, we have, we start to value um, skill sets and art and other things as artificial intelligence grows and automation grows even more so than artificial intelligence. Because remember, we don't need to make smart machines. We need to make effective machines. Those machines need to be able to consistently perform a task uh, in order to, to quote, take a job from a person. The machine doesn't need to think. And so there's kind of a misnomer and a misattribution of artificial intelligence as a threat. What's really a concern going forward is automation and automation tools are skyrocketing. You know, they're, they're growing rapidly and uh, the effectiveness of robotics is, is growing rapidly. So, you know, we will see a bunch of people who now have time. And one of the things that I always talk about with, you know, Timothy and, and people in that group uh, is really the, the issue of an abundance of time rather than the issue of lack of jobs. You know, people will shift and, and, and that shift, I believe, will trigger that change in perceived value. And uh, I believe it's going to go more towards a barter system, which then goes back to gaming. And it's like, hey, if I've got this cool thing in a game that a bunch of people are playing or in sort of a, a universe that a bunch of people are participating in, um, you know, that then holds intrinsic value because you can do something with it and you can trade it and you can, you know, you own it. That's fascinating. That's extremely fascinating. And where can it go wrong? I, I always bring up on this podcast the the man versus machine, machine versus man, and man and machine uh, analogy. But where and uh, where would it go wrong? Where do you get a little nervous um, when people are talking about topics like this? Or is it just are you sure that everything is? Uh, and I, I don't want to introduce people being nervous, of course, because I'm actually a big fan of AI, obviously, and I think it's generally useful. And I love your point about automation, but let's just talk about the dark side briefly. Where can it go too far? Oh, man. It, it can go, it can go all kinds of directions. And I, I think about this a lot. Um, one of the reasons that I got back into gaming is, is, you know, just again, to reiterate my concern, I guess, is what people do with an abundance of time. We've seen in history that that's not always been good. Um, you know, you look at like everything from socialist countries to the fall of Rome to, uh, a lot of other places where, you know, if you've got people that are just kind of sitting around, pe people do like to do things. They don't want to necessarily go to a nine to five. That's, that's boring, but, but people like to be active. They feel fulfilled when they're, you know, kind of contributing back to their community. And one of the things I think that we've lost, uh, and a positive opportunity of this, you know, potential future is sort of rekindling that neighborhood and that community, that like kind of local community um, aspect of, of life that we've that we've given up in exchange for a Facebook community or a, a digital community. Um, and not to say that digital communities are bad because I like those too. But the dark side of all of this is people have too much free time and then they spend it in negative ways and like vindictive ways or, or um, you know, they, they instead of going off and creating new things and doing new things, which I do believe people will do, um, they might feel shortchanged and uh, sort of defensive might be a good word, but but nervous and, and uncertain uh, and therefore less less open to 
other people and, and new opportunities. When I hear about people talking about AI and coming automation, the metaphor or the epoch uh, most people compared to is the dawn of industrialization or even kind of the whole period of bourgeoisie that saw impressionism come out as an art art genre and all that. Yeah. This is the first time I've heard a mention of fall of Rome. <laughs> I love the fall of Rome. It's important. It's an important lesson. Yeah, well, fell, fell more than once, and then you've also participated in, in you know quite a few of these communities you know throughout the country, New York, and and even back in Seattle. And it sounds like Don and you have that Seattle connection as well. Can you speak a little bit about um, the communities and tech in particular, and how you feel that they're evolving? Uh, you know, and if you feel like you're they're being um, you know pushing things forward or how is it, what does it feel like to be really deep in the tech communities in these different places? Yeah. Uh, so my very harsh criticism of each tech community, uh, we'll, we'll go with that. Cause I actually have, I mean, I have super strong opinions about all of them. Um, Seattle is uh, skittish in terms of investing and um, attempting new, you know, new, new products, uh, trying out new businesses. Um, They've got a lot of uh, Microsoft money, a lot of Amazon money, of course, and there's major, major, major companies, big value being generated there, but they like their consistent, um, stable incomes and, and uh, you know, they don't want to necessarily risk their capital. Um, that's a positive for San Francisco and LA to a degree uh, where you get more of a um, let's just go for it kind of attitude, which I, I do think is good. But then San Francisco is also a bit of a circle jerk. And, um, you know, it's a really heavy emphasis on eyeballs and data, which isn't a bad thing, but, you know, there's so much more than that. And people are, um, you know, once you move beyond something like that, once you move beyond something that's, you know, the whole debt trade and debt funding concept, look at Uber, they've, they've done nothing and they're burning billions. And uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Uber, but, um, you know, where does a company like that go? Uh, sure, automated cars, yeah, great. But, we're still a long ways off from that. And I think people have this idealistic vision that, oh, no, no, we can just flip a switch and all of a sudden in two years we'll have a bazillion automated cars. It's like, well, you know, people, regulators, all kinds of roadblocks um, prevent that kind of realization. Uh, so, you know, LA, you get a lot of people who want to show off like they've got a lot and they really don't. So you have to be cautious of that here. Um, but then there's, there's massive, massive opportunity in entertainment, music, um, advertising. You know, we have all kinds of really, really powerful agencies and things here. So if you're into that world, um, this is a great opportunity for you. And uh, New York, of course, fintech. Um, and New York, I've actually found is a fair balance between the San Francisco, LA, and Seattle mentalities. Uh, in New York, you have a lot of... Um, you have a lot of money, of course, and you have a group of people who are willing to risk it and try something new and interesting. And you have sort of your traditional money um, that will come in after, you know, after you've got some revenue and after you've shown you more, more like an A round rather than a seed or a, an angel round. For Seattle, I, I have my theory on why um, the angel investing community is so hesitant. Um, I'd be interested in going a little deeper with you on that. Um, my, sure. my theory is it's really where most of the wealth has been generated by folks who were employees of, say, Microsoft early on. 
um, even early on investors, right, who believed in Microsoft as a local company invested, did really well, like just never work again well. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's very different from how people made their money in San Francisco. And I, I, I think it's a, there's a lot of capital, but the angels just don't know even how to choose an investment. And they depend on a, a very um, small set of gatekeepers to make those kind of decisions. And unless those gatekeepers um, jump into a deal, um, the money's not, not coming. Yeah. Um... I'd agree with that. You know, you have like companies like Madrona Ventures and, and other people who want to be thought leaders and who are active in the space. You know, there's some funding for student projects and cool things like that. And I, I really want to encourage that. I think we need as much of that as possible. Um, one of the things I talk about as an alternative to UBI is this notion that wealthy people should be able to just give their money to small small businesses, small medium businesses, students, uh, research, all kinds of things as a direct tax write-off. And I know that there are ways to do that, but I think it needs to be incentivized further because that will create all kinds of new opportunity. And going forward, I think that's a super important um, you know, option to provide people. Uh, to, you know, the, the benefits of that could be tons and tons of job creation, whole new paradigms, all kinds of cool things. Um, but it would alleviate you know, that kind of hesitancy. So it's like, okay, cool. Well, even if, you know, as someone who's made, say, call, call it like three to $5 million. So they're, they're doing well, they're not, you know, they're not set for life in a high end area necessarily, but they're, they're very, very, very happy. Um, if they do a $25,000 angel investment, $50,000 angel investment, and it completely goes up in smoke, they at least get a, a really nice benefit from doing that, you know, through a, a new kind of program. I would, that's something I would really like to see. So maybe this is a proposal for Jay Inslee. Institute okay. institute a, a income tax on the extremely wealthy, but they get dollar for dollar tax credits for any angel investing. No, no tax. It should just be a program. No tax. Just it should just be a program. People will do that yeah. if they, you know, they can they can mitigate their tax, um, you know, their tax dollars, and and it would be great to see it on a federal level because at that point you could take money from Seattle, San Francisco wherever and move it to like Alabama or Kentucky or these other places where, you know, you don't have these tech hubs and maybe we could start to generate them. Wyoming is a great example of someone, you know, of, a, of an area where a bunch of people are, are migrating because of their favorable blockchain regulation. Uh, that's a brilliant move on their part to bring very intelligent, probably fairly wealthy individuals into their state and into their space. I, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Uh, how, what's the number? What's the population that's moving because of this blockchain legislation? Uh, you know, I don't have numbers on that, but they're, they've done a lot. You know, Wyoming is like they're doing the whole blockchain frontier thing. Um, it, I, maybe we could look that up and, and attach it to the, the podcast after. But um, they are trying to lead the charge in terms of favorable blockchain regulation. And it's, it's being received very well. Um, for the or by the people who who are aware of it. Gotcha. I saw I saw on your uh, your Twitter feed at one point you um, posted a article or a cover from Forbes magazine stating you know, Nokia one billion customers can anyone catch the cell phone king? 
not necessarily just particularly to games and AI, but, you know, Everett, what is your feeling of where things are going? Uh, where do you see yourself in five years from now as from a technology perspective and what's going to change? True. I think we're going to be in a really crazy world five years from now for a lot of reasons, some of them political, most of them uh, tech fear on behalf of governments more than people. Because the more people are able to you know, be self-sovereign, um, the worse, fundamentally, the worse that is for, for governments. And even in relatively free areas, I would say, you know, we're, we're, we're fairly free here. We've got lots of personal freedom. Canada, tons of personal freedom. Many parts of Europe, tons of personal freedom. Uh, again, I tend to be a little more, uh, a little more libertarian and, and don't like all the taxes and stuff, but I understand that, that they're important and necessary as well. Um, you know, the countries like, like the U S if someone can circumvent, you know, specifically tax, uh, but maybe other regulation and, and things, um, to kind of go outside of the box, that that's a threat to, to, to those governments, um, you know, people start to not need government. And the, the notion is that, oh, you need a government to keep you safe and, and protected. It's like, well, maybe we don't anymore. Or maybe that that need is lessening. Um, I think it will be around for a while. But, you know, maybe maybe one day down the road, it's it's something that's handled privately. Should should there be governance around AI and blockchain? Um, or is it self-government? No, I, I think there's, you know, this is, this is something I go back and forth on in my head. Uh, I think there should be. Um, deep fakes are a genuine concern, uh, or the notion of deep fakes, which again, are just generative networks that are trained to mimic something. And, um, you know, with all the good that can come from, from AI and blockchain, there's a lot of bad, um, money laundering is, is bad, you know, funding of, of like extreme groups, no matter who or what they are bad, uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's a, always a concern and, and some regulation around that is important um, because people do need to feel safe and they do need to be protected uh, as much as, as much as, you know, I might be an advocate for personal freedom. It's not everyone's necessarily capable and not everyone necessarily wants to, to take care of, you know, themselves and not, not in a bad way, but just maybe they don't want to have to deal with that. And that's perfectly acceptable. Um, so yeah, there needs to be regulation, but it needs to be not knee jerk and it needs to be done by people who really know what things are. Uh, I'm not a favor of, or I'm not a fan of politicians creating regulation. Um, this is a, a big, you know, riff between me and, and political world, uh, just on a personal level, because you get a lot of people who are trying to regulate something they don't understand and then they misregulate. And then, you know, you have all these people who are suffering, who are, you know, really trying to make something positive. And because someone was afraid, they over-regulated. And now, you know, you're, you're losing jobs, you know, you're taking away jobs from people, you're taking away opportunity from, from potentially the world. Uh, and that's bad. So it needs to be done cautiously. Yeah. And it needs to, you know, there really needs to not be heavy handed retroactive laws. Those are those are a massive threat. Um, I was on the phone with someone yesterday talking about how he had to move a little startup side company that he was building to the Cayman Islands at a fairly major expense um, for him because no other blockchain companies would work with him on fear that the SEC would retroactively apply some arbitrary law that they come up with down the road and that everyone that you know inter interacted with that company would get slapped for it. And that, that can't happen. That's a problem. So, Ted, wow. I, I mean, even before we talk about AI and blockchain, 
and even when you're talking about just database software and and uh, real prosaic stuff that's kind of old news now um there's always been a challenge where the legislators that make the laws and then the judges that may adjudicate a lawsuit or a dispute over something related to tech just don't have any basis in it. Are, are there folks that you identify who are um, in positions of authority to create regulation who have a fluency in blockchain or AI? Yeah, you know, I... I... Uh, Elon Musk is a controversial character, but um, but he does, you know, he's fairly well read, and and maybe you know, I don't agree with everything he says, um, but but he should be advising. I know Teal is interested in advising on on political side of things. Um, uh, you've got Anthony Pompliano, who is very well known in the Bitcoin space. Brock Pierce, um, all these guys, uh, uh, Tim Draper. You know, these a lot of these guys are VC esque or or investing on the investing side now, so they're not necessarily the actual technologists, but you know they're 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 very very intelligent people. They're very well read. They know what's going on, uh, and those are the kind of people who can really um, accurately help with regulation. Um, and, and you know, politicians at the same time need to meet people halfway. They need to understand that they're not going to understand what's going on because that's frankly not their job. Um, and they need, you know, their job is to listen to people who know what's going on, so that they can uh, construct the laws and the regulation around, um, you know, a, a very, very rapidly changing world. Well, Everett, uh, so we're getting close to our twenty-six point one minutes, and we want to be uh, able to fit this into an average commute time to someone. So I wanted to see if you had any final kind of remarks if you have anything you would like to tell our 500,000 listeners you know kind of at the end of the podcast um don't be afraid of ai don't be afraid of new technology uh you know read and explore there's so many cool off the shelf things that you can like it doesn't take a lot of effort to actually download a a chunk of code and run it um you know maybe a couple hours of reading uh, and, and you might be able to do that. Um, play with the NVIDIA GAUGAN, G-A-U-G-A-N. Uh, it's really cool. You get to like kind of paint by numbers and it'll generate a, a scene for you, um, which is a great hands-on experiment that they're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, just just keep an open mind with everything you do. And and to get a little political, you know, if, if people are arguing on Facebook, step out of it. <laughs> uh, it's not worth your time. Go, go read something. Go, go do something positive. Um, that ignore the echo chambers. You know, you're only seeing things that uh, one of the negative sides of AI is uh, Facebook sort of scopes your view to people they think will keep you on their website longer. So um, keep that in mind when you're when you're watching information flow in front of you. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on AI Podcast. You can reach us at ai-podcast.com or find us on Spotify or iTunes. Thank you again, and we'll see you soon.